The Daily Rios episode 495, Smallville season 1, part 3. Hey everyone, this is your host, Peter. Part 3 of the first season of Smallville, taking a look at episodes 11 through 15. This is week 3 of my ongoing project called The Daily Smallville, scheduled to wrap up in October for the show's 20th anniversary. Be on the lookout, though, uh, this week uh, for a new Legion Project podcast episode as well as a regular Daily Rios episode. Uh, You are not only going to get Smallville episodes, you will be getting other episodes as well. Also, I joined Stephen Orr for one of his Just Another Fanboy YouTube live stream chats. You can catch the video on the YouTube channel Just Another Fanboy, and then the audio version should be on his feed soon uh, as well. So, The Daily Smallville. I'll start with thoughts about the episodes as a whole, and then I'll go episode by episode with any leftover thoughts. As always, if you want all of the notes per episode, you have to check the website. And like I did with the Titans TV show over on the tower, I'm not going super in-depth with a synopsis per episode. I'll just assume that you're watching along, or maybe remembering the episodes, or just listening because you're curious. The five episodes for week three are Hug, Leech, Kinetic, Zero, and Nicodemus. You could probably make a band name out of some of those words. This is definitely the Kryptonite Monster of the Week season, so one of the big thoughts I I always like to start off with is taking a look at the Kryptonite Monster of the Week per episode. This is where I compare the monster with a Legion of Superheroes character, Since many of the powers that are being shown on the TV show seem fairly standard as far as superpowers go, and many of them seem to harken back to powers shown throughout the Legion of Superhero comics, so I'm making the case that it feels kind of like a tour through that particular corner of the DC Universe. Now, to be a member of the Legion, every member must have at least one genuine superpower, and that superpower must be distinct from the superpowers possessed by any other active member other than Superboy. That's in the Legion Constitution. There's more to it than just that. But I just like to make my own comparisons uh, between what's happening on Smallville and what's happening in the Legion of Superhero Universe. So for episode 11, Hug we get a kryptonite monster of the meat a week with uh, the power of persuasion through touch. Now, I'm not, I think I might be missing an obvious choice when it comes to the Legion. Uh, the only one I could maybe relate to is Veil Mist, which was a later character uh, in the 90s. Uh, not part of the Legion of Superheroes, but part of the larger Legion of Superhero world. Um, so again, I think I'm missing an obvious choice here, but it was fun to see finally that this power didn't affect Clark, uh, unlike other kryptonite monsters of the week. They, they kind of play a little fast and loose when it comes to this. Sometimes the kryptonite monster of the week can affect Clark because the kryptonite inside them is, you know, directly affecting him. Sometimes They are powered by the kryptonite, and they might be strong or have a power that can affect Clark, but he doesn't get the radiation poisoning. So it seems like it's really just being dictated by the writer terms. When we see this power being used through Pa Kent, uh, we, we get a shot of the power filtering through all the way to his brain, and it almost looked like the start of an X-Men movie intro which was kind of fun. Speaking of the X-Men movie, in episode 12, Leech, 
The Kryptonite Monster of the Week is played by Sean Ashmore, who is Iceman in the X-Men movies. He's also Lamplighter in the boys' TV show. The character's name is Eric Summers. Now, he gets his powers from Clark in an accident involving a meteor rock and a lightning bolt. So now this is different from others. He, he was given the power to him, not from the meteor storm, um, but from Clark himself. So in the previous episode, uh, the Kryptonite Monster of the Week did get uh, his power from the meteor storm. That seems to be like a, a running thing. Now, I'm not sure if there was a Legion of Superhero story where Superboy's powers gets, gets transferred to another being. I'm sure there are plenty of Silver Age stories that involve that. So go ahead and pick anybody you want here. And with this Kryptonite Monster of the Week, as he slowly becomes a Superboy, as is, as is mentioned in the episode, he does a few things that uh, are going to play out in other superhero movies after this episode. For instance, he walks downstairs and he no longer has to wear his glasses, which is like straight out of the first Spider-Man movie, um, which probably was released shortly after this episode was released. And then there are some other connections to the X-Men universe that I'll talk about when I actually get to the episode. Now, when I talk about the Kryptonite Monsters of the Week, they, they've usually been, been bad. Only a few of them have been conflicted. So I did watch in this episode particularly, you know, did the kryptonite turn Eric bad? Uh, did it have something to do with his abusive father? Um, or are the writers just continually trying to show that Clark is who he is because he knows how to handle his powers and he doesn't fly fly off in fits of rage and he doesn't abuse his, abuse his abilities. Whereas a lot of these kryptonite monsters of the week, uh, for story's sake, they usually are either evil or at least bad. Um, now, I had a thought with this episode. It feels like the way Smallville treats green kryptonite in relation to regular earthlings... Um, it feels very similar to how in the comic books, Bizarro Red Kryptonite was used to give various unique abilities to humans. So in the comics, Red Kryptonite affects Clark in different ways. So Bizarro Red Kryptonite affects humans in different ways. And that's what it feels like this green kryptonite is doing to regular humans. It's poisoning Clark, but for humans... It's acting almost like the way red kryptonite would act, so kind of interesting. In episode 13, Kinetic, we get three robbers who seem to have the power to phase through walls. Uh, I connected it back, obviously, to Phantom Girl. Um, they get their powers from Meteor Rock-infused tattoo ink. And then Whitney gets involved as well. Now, this is one of the episodes where Clark does get poisoned by just being around these people, because I guess the ink is on the outside of their skin. And what happens is they can use the ink to phase through things, but then eventually it starts to wear off. So where they might be able to use their power for a long period of time when they first get uh, their first tattoo, when they start to get other tattoos, the time shortens. And the whole thing is kind of like a sports enhancement drug metaphor because all of these people are failed athletes um, and in essence really what's happening is they are speeding up their metabolism and their molecules so that they can phase so it's not quite like phantom girl it's more like flash what flash does or excess uh, and i wrote here you know with all of this talk about failing sports and whitney loses his his uh scholarship in this episode you can almost relate this to, like, the Legion of Super Athletic Rejects. It's kind of funny. Now, because Whitney actually gets this power, uh, you know, this feels like, okay, then he should... He, he's a normal dude who, who just got this power to phase through things. This should affect him, or at least make him sympathetic to the weirdness in Smallville after this episode, but I doubt that that happens. Uh, the same thing with Lex in this episode. He sees these people phase through walls. 
So now this is kind of like his first real encounter with the weird, with his own eyes. So both these characters up to now have been involved in weird situations, but here it is, um, you know, at their very eyes, at their very hands. So the weirdness of Smallville is definitely spreading. Episode 14, Zero, There Is No Kryptonite Monster of the Week, yay! Episode 15, Nicodemus, I wrote here, hmm, this is like Little Smallville of Horrors, because the Kryptonite Monster of the Week is a plant that uh, releases kryptonite spores, and it uh, basically breaks down your inhibitions, and it brings out some of your wants and desires. I'll talk about that when I get to the episode. So I wrote here, oh, okay, so it's, you know, kind of like chlorophyll kid. Maybe a little bit more like poison ivy, but uh, you get the you get the point. Another larger point that I like to look at with these episodes is how they are handling Clark's abilities. So in episode 11, uh, Clark is shown just barely outracing a bullet at a pretty... Uh, you know, close distance. Um, and then under the persuasion influence, uh, Lex starts to shoot at Clark with an automatic and the effects aren't, you know, <laughs> they're, they're a little Matrix-like, but not as, not as clean. And Clark clearly gets hit a bunch of times. And you hear this almost like metallic sound as he gets hit. And later on, we see bruises. So he is still building up his, uh, you know, invulnerability. And there was another episode later in um, Nicodemus where Pa Kent is also under the influence of this plant and he buckshots Clark right in the chest. And they don't necessarily follow up with that. But again, he's starting to realize that he is bulletproof, although... Uh, he can still be affected a little bit when it comes to pain or how his body reacts, at least by this point. In episode 12 and in other episodes, Clark is starting to use his abilities out in public. For instance, in this episode, he's on a class field trip as they look for some rocks, a geology project, and he uses his x-ray vision and he uses his strength to find a sample with other students nearby. Now, he's being careful but he's clearly using his powers for, I don't want to say self-gain, but it is pretty much for self-gain. And uh, it's nice to see that he's embracing his differences. He's embracing his powers now. He used to be really afraid of them or uncertain or, or have a, a sense of uncertainty, you know, because he's just discovered that he's an alien. He knew he had the power since he was a kid, but he's an alien, so that kind of freaked him out. So he's using him now, kind of, you know, embracing who he is, which is nice. And it reminded me of the, the very first movie, Superman movie, where Clark says, is a bird showing off when it flies, right? That's what he's doing. Now, the good thing in episode 12, it's an episode where he loses his powers, as I talked about, um, when they get transferred to Iceman. <laughs> um, he has to live normally. And that's a theme that has been... Uh, pushed about uh, since the beginning, and you start to see him really enjoy it, right? He gets he he gets to play basketball with his friends, and he's being bruised, and he's and he's sweating, and uh, he starts to feel a little bit normal around uh, his friends and family. Now, eventually, he gets his powers back. It would be nice to see maybe that he learned a lesson from this episode, maybe not to not to take his powers for granted or to use them for selfish things. Um, but ultimately, you know, the point is that they are part of him, and he even says to Eric, the kryptonite monster of the week, uh, Clark doesn't have his powers at this point, and he says, look, this is who I am, whether I have my powers or not, meaning that he always wants to get involved, and he wants to help people, and then he admits to himself that, um, part of who he is, part of having these powers, means that he has a duty a responsibility, if you will. This is definitely a pre- and post-Smallville after this this episode, you know. The writers don't necessarily carry this through, you know, the first time Clark loses his powers. Will he learn humility, right? But 
for me, I'm going to kind of keep track of it. And I feel like this could be a nice episode of, to say, oh, okay, he really learned something about himself here. Also, by the way, I think the lightning strike that uh, put his powers into Eric might be the most powerful, quote-unquote, attack on Clark to date. In episode 13, Kinetic, Pete makes a reference to Kent's thousand-yard stare, which is when Clark uses his x-ray vision. Now, Pete doesn't know that he has powers just yet, but it's kind of nice that that's a thing that happens with Clark. It's another episode where there are so many open uses of power. Um, Clark vanishes from Lex's side, Batman style. Uh, He speed saves Whitney. And then one of the other uh, Kryptonite Monsters of the Week actually sees Clark rushing and saving Whitney. So, yeah, I think the writers, again, sometimes play a little loose with... uh, what people are seeing when it comes to Clark. And then again, it's another episode where the cops are seeing Clark at the scene of a crime when they roll up. And that's been happening a lot. By now, you would think they would have a huge file on him and say, okay, what is it with you? Why are you always at these uh, scenes, crime scenes? And then in episode 15, Nicodemus, um, there's a moment where Pete is under the influence of the plant and Clark has to knock him out, and he just forehead slaps Pete right in the head. And I thought, wait, whoa, how does he know how much pressure to use that he can just knock out Pete without hurting him, without giving him a concussion? I mean, he's not that, Clark isn't that skilled yet that he can figure out pressure, you know? I mean, there are scenes in comics where Superman will just roll up and just kind of flick his finger and knock somebody in the jaw, but that's Superman. This is Clark Kent, you know? It makes me like, whoa, Clark, you almost, you could have knocked his skull out. So I thought that was kind of funny. The other thing this these episodes do, they allow the other characters to finally shine, right? We're in, we're in the start of the second half of the season with these episodes, and we get two episodes that are focused on Lex. Whitney finally gets an episode. We get more depth with Chloe and Lana, a little bit of history with the Kents, a little bit of what makes Pete tick. So it's kind of nice. These five five episodes really opened up. We also learned a little bit about Smallville, uh, such as in episode 11, Chloe talks about the woods of, of Smallville and how they cause memory loss. Now, this is tied into the Kryptonite Monster of the Week, but it reminded me of the Jeff Lemire Superboy series that also plays with like the larger weirdness of Smallville. And then in episode 15, when, you know, Clark and Chloe and them are researching Nicodemus, the plant, they go all the way back to 1871, where there was the first outbreak of this plant. And Pete makes a comment, nice to know that Smallville was still whack before the meteors got here. So in a show called Smallville, it's kind of nice to actually get some history. Uh, Some other things that we get... um, We'll talk about Lex in Hug and Zero. He gets two episodes uh, that speak a lot to his past or his friendship with Clark. In Leech, the one where Iceman gets Superman's powers or Clark's powers, um, it's nice to see an episode where we see how Smallville would treat a Superboy. Now, Chloe is the one to give... Eric, uh, the name Superboy, and what's kind of nice is it gives Clark an example of how his people would see him. You know, they treat Eric like a celebrity when he does things to help them. Now, of course, things go wrong, and then they all turn on him because whether it's because Eric, um, you know, is a troubled teen or his family life or whatever, but it puts into question does Clark have to hide? Now, the obvious answer is yes, he's an alien. Uh, People are going to start asking questions, even if they are kind of hip to the idea of having a superpower being in their town. But Clark was given a chance to sit back and see what one path might be uh, if he were to ever, you know, reveal himself. So I kind of like that this episode played with that. Um, This episode also made me think, okay... Chloe calls Eric Superboy, so now the word super comes into play. 
Not that they use it a lot, but that's kind of nice. And it also made me remember that Chloe was developed to be a Lois Lane type character in this uh, little mix of characters where you have Clark and Lana, where they're, they're the romance, and you have Pete, the best friend, and Lex, the villain. Well, then you still have this Chloe character who right now, because she's the reporter at the torch and she's super nosy and she investigates things, she is the Lois Lane character. And I know one of the running um, rumors or speculations was that eventually this character, Chloe Sullivan, would grow up and change her name to be Lois Lane and it would be the Lois Lane of, of later mythos. Uh, but that never turned out, thankfully. And again, I think it was just a rumor. Um, obviously, we know we get a Lois Lane later. And then what happens is, in later seasons, I know I'm jumping the gun here, but the Chloe Sullivan character becomes uh, kind of like the checkpoint for Clark. And then all of a sudden, in all the superhero TV shows that we get, Arrow and Flash and Black Lightning... There's always a Chloe Sullivan type character who is either back at the home base and able to give the main hero information. So this character really becomes kind of important for later DC TV. We get some Lana Lang stuff in these episodes. Uh, in Kinetic and in Zero, we learn that Nell, her aunt Nell, is selling the flower shop uh, with the Talon Theater along with it. Eventually, Lana finds a way to convince Lex to open it up as a coffee shop and an art house with Lana as manager, which only puts Lex and Lana on a path together. Uh, at the end of Kinetic, Lex calls it the start of a very interesting partnership, and we see that Lana smiles because she's happy that she was able to save the Talon where her parents met. But then you can see, oh, she starts to get a look of concern on her face, whether that means uh, because of Lex, or because now she has this huge responsibility, we will see. And then in Zero, the Talon opens, and there's all these problems before it opens, but that's part of the episode. And at one point, Lana says to Clark, look, I'm just growing out and shedding that fairy princess rep, uh, which again goes all the way down back to the pilot. You know, this has been the theme for her for this season, uh, trying to push against what people think she is. As I mentioned, Whitney gets a spotlight in Kinetic. Kinetic. He isn't a very strong character. He's also not a very strong actor, um, but he's there because he plays the role of the obstacle between Clark and Lana because they have now gotten rid of uh, the kryptonite necklace. And then in Nicodemus, because of the nature of the kryptonite monster of the week being a plant, um, and infecting all these other people, we get the buried thoughts and feelings of people like Pa and Lana and Pete. Uh, Pete and Clark talk about the Luthers, uh, because Lionel took the Ross factory 12 years ago, and it's the first time that Pete really addresses this and, and Clark's friendship with Lex to Clark. Usually, usually it's a conversation that Pete has with Chloe, and apparently Pete is jealous of Clark's uh, friendship with Lex. And then we'll talk about how the plan affects uh, Pa Kent and Lana when I get to the episode. It's funny how I could probably go back and pick some of my favorites of this season. You know, that's something I do when I record the Star Trek episodes. And maybe, maybe I'll do that once the season is wrapped up. But I have to say, there aren't many episodes that I feel are complete duds. You know, for the year that it came out and for it being the first season, it's fairly strong so far. And I'm, I'm, I'm really noticing just how well the show develops episode to episode. Now think of like Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1 that I know is not everybody's favorite. Those episodes are truly episodic. There's very little connecting episode to episode. But Smallville is treating it like, you know, like a regular primetime show where people come in week to week and they want to see how these characters grow. Now, no doubt there are episodes where maybe one plot line isn't as strong as the other, but I'm really enjoying it. And it probably has to do with the fact that I'm purposely digging deep into character study, right? Either against what I remember of the whole show, all 10 seasons, or I'm finding stuff that I can connect to later seasons. So 
even if the writers don't make those connections, I'm making them with my, you know, headcanon and all that. Um, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. It's kind of nice to know that I can sit here and go, oh, you know, uh, I there's something I like in almost every episode. All right, let's dig in with uh, the individual episodes now. So episode 11, Hug, this is the one where the Kryptonite Monster of the Week has the power of persuasion through touch. This episode is about two sides of a coin, and it's it's exemplified by having not one but two Kryptonite Monsters of the Week with same powers, uh, the power of persuasion like I talked about, and where one uses those abilities for self-gain, the other has, has turned inward and hides himself from the rest of Smallville. And in a way, it shows two of the many potential paths that Clark could take, uh, and two that he's struggling with in this first season, right? To either use his abilities outright, such as when he wants to play football, or when he works on the farm, right? Or to just hide away and be in fear because no one in his family knows what would happen if he's revealed. And then this episode is also a comment on friendship between the Kryptonite Monsters of the Week, Kyle and Bob, who know each other, who worked with each other, who gained their abilities together uh, during the meteor storm, that's a mirror to Lex and Clark. Clark and Kyle uh, are very similar because they're the ones who hide their secrets. And then Bob and Lex, who know each other, of course, they are the ones that exploit their power, literally and figuratively, uh, or they exploit any kind of knowledge that they can gain from using their power. So in this episode, we're shown that Clark has a connection with Kyle. He even wants to try to talk to Kyle uh, once the whole you know situation starts to get out of control because Kyle is a recluse and says to him, look, I understand what it's like to be hidden from the world. And Clark even manages to pass on a little what he's been learning all season and giving Kyle advice about the responsibility of having powers and that you shouldn't just hide away. And it's kind of nice. It's a nice little bit of growth for the character. Now, Kyle, in turn, says some things to Clark about friendship, because that's a theme, and says, look, your friends, they'll always betray you in the end. And then later, Kyle talks to Clark about being alone and says, some people aren't meant to have a regular life. So on one hand, you have the Kents who are trying to give Clark advice. You have Lex, who's always trying to give Clark advice for whatever reason. And then when you get a Kryptonite Monster of the Week who understands where Clark is coming from, he also can learn from that as well. So this goes back to my point about Superman is not just a carbon copy of what he learns from Pa Kent. He's a, he is a montage. He is a crazy quilt of everything that he learns, good and bad, from every situation. Not that any of this advice that Kyle gives him is right, but he can at least learn from it and maybe pull something from it. Whenever these characters uh, get put under the persuasion power, there comes moments of honesty, such as Chloe's inner feelings for Clark, but it really comes out in the end when Lex gets put under the power and goes after both Kyle and Clark because Bob wants them dead, and then all of a sudden all of Lex's inner thoughts come out. Thoughts about Smallville, being trapped in Smallville, how he sees the dislike in the Kent's eyes, and just out and out admitting that he knows Clark has powers now. He, he sees it, right? Now, he won't remember after this is over, but he's not necessarily surprised by it once he realizes, which is kind of fun. It's, it shows how much he's been thinking about Clark all this time. So it's an obvious nod to the audience uh, that, you know, Lex's true colors uh, are to be a villain. But really, it should be a way to show Clark just how cautious he should be around Lex. But that doesn't necessarily play out after this episode. I mean, he even tells the Kens at one point that Lex is his best friend. So, you know, Clark is slow to learn about some things. Eventually, he's going to have to see the truth for himself. And then uh, power, how to use power, friendship... Um, all of that wraps up in uh, the end of the episode, at the end of the episode. I think I talked about this in one of the other podcasts about how the Superman mythos can transcend uh, whether I th think Superman is my favorite character or not and, and can really hit emotionally. And at the end of this episode, 
Lex and Clark are in the barn. They're, they're talking about Kyle and Bob and about friendship and how their friendship, Kyle and Bob, how it ended poorly. And Clark says to Lex, think we'll ever end up like that? To which Lex replies, trust me, Clark, our friendship is going to be the stuff of legend. And then the last shot is them looking out into the sky from the barn. It's a great ending. It's so good. Because you know what their destiny is, right? And and it's obvious and it's very on the nose, but it works. It really works. And I'm tracking a bunch of these endings as we go. Uh, so far, we get a lot of like Clark being by himself or Clark pining over Lana. Uh, but again, here's an obvious nod to Clark and Lex's future. It's something different. Uh, for an episode to end on, and it works. I'm also tracking loose ends. Kyle knows Clark's secret, so this is like the second or third person that does. I don't know if any of this comes back to haunt him later. Uh, In this episode, we get a nice, strong scene between Lana and Clark, almost a complete 180 from uh, one of the other, from last episode, I think, from the previous podcast, where they almost kissed. In this episode... When Whitney gets caught up between Bob and Kyle and placed under Bob's persuasion power, uh, Whitney goes after Kyle and Clark, um, or goes after Kyle, and then Clark saves the day, and then the police get involved. But Clark doesn't 100% back Whitney up just because he's no longer under the power. You know, he's not sure exactly what's going on at this point in the episode. And it's not like he rats Whitney out, but Lana is not happy with Clark about, you know, uh, what went down with Whitney. And Lana says, Whitney wouldn't attack anybody. And Clark responds, he strung me up in a field. And I thought, bam, good for you, Clark. Good for you for sticking up for yourself. Lana doesn't come off well in this argument. You know, she mistakes Clark's caution for an attack against Whitney. And she's obviously protecting her boyfriend, but she's also got insecurities about her relationship with him. So I get it. I get why she's acting this way. But it was kind of nice for Clark to stand up for himself in that manner. And then lastly, with this episode, we get a, a Superman comic book mythos thing. Uh, when Clark talks about what, what he wants to do when he grows up, he says, not be a farmer. And then he also says, as long as it doesn't involve putting on a suit and doing a lot of flying. Ha ha. Wink wink. Nudge nudge. Okay, let's go to episode 12, Leech. For this episode, we hit back on the theme of Clark's desire to maybe be normal, to live as a normal teen, to not have these powers and alien origins, which, at least in the opening of the season, has been scary for Clark, right? So Clark's powers get put into Eric's, as we talked about, and I thought, oh, see, something that could the writers could use, but I don't think they do. Um, well, not in this episode, anyway. All of the nosebleeds that Clark gets, and the cramps, and he's getting sweaty in front of his classmates, and it takes time to do things. He's breaking bones in front of Lex. This could be a great way to reestablish Clark as normal to anyone that may think of otherwise up to this point, right? So Clark has this whole sort of uh, savior complex. Uh, that surrounds him, and he's always showing up when things go wrong, and he's always there when the cops are there, like I said. People are being saved. Clark just happens to be around. I feel like the writers could use this as a way to get people off the scent, and they do that with Lex in this episode, but it would be interesting if they could... It's almost like a reset for the character. Um, I talked about how this episode you know, is an insight into the way the people of Smallville would treat someone like uh, Clark or like a Superboy. Now, of course, Eric messes that all up because he's a troubled youth. And um, it made me think, okay, but would Clark? You know, we've seen Clark use his powers a few times for gain, small gains. But he, you know, he is just a teen learning how to live and learning how to accept responsibility. But it in, in his very nature, he is a good person. So maybe the fears that the Kents have wouldn't necessarily turn out the way they think. Uh, we even see at one point when Clark sees the destruction that Eric has caused, you know, probably makes him think, hmm, I wonder if I could do something like that. But he's learning as well. His growth is, is being shown because um, 
He says to Podcamp, look, Eric didn't get my two, two strongest gifts, you and mom. So even though at one point Clark asks the Kents, you know, if they were ever afraid of him, he clearly knows that he is on the right path because of his family, because of his inherent nature, because of his powers, etc. He doesn't have to be Superman right now, um, but this episode is a step closer. So concerning Lex, we get a theme about truth in this episode. Roger is back, the journalist that tried to blackmail Lex in one of the early episodes, and he shows Lex a digitized reenactment reenactment of the accident with Lex and Clark. And uh, it clearly shows Clark being hit by the car in the accident. And Lex confronts Clark. He says, look, you're the closest I've had to a real friend my whole life. You don't have to hide anything from me. I just want the truth. Now, Clark is powerless at that time, and he's trying to tell Lex, you know, I'm just I'm normal, and walks away. And Lex actually looks hurt at the end of that conversation. It's a pretty good scene. Um, it kicked me off into this whole notion concerning Smallville. Like, here's one of those moments in Smallville, the way they are telling the relationship between Clark and Lex, that had Clark just opened up and told Lex the truth, could it have been a catalyst to change Lex and make Lex different than what we might know him uh, as in the comics, you know? Now, we, I get it. It's, it's Lex's nature. He's secretive. He's manipulative. Um... This is everything that makes them eventual enemies. Um, because when, when Lex tells the truth, he's, he's telling the truth a lot of times, but you can always tell it's for a certain reason. And I don't know, there was just something about that conversation and other parts of this episode. It, it makes a case for the betrayals of Clark and Lex when they know each other from the beginning, you know, in Smallville, whether it's the TV show or in comics, it makes the case that that's a frustrating way for their relationship to be shown. Because their animosity later as Superman and, and, you know, the mad scientist Lex Luthor, really it just winds up just being like a grudge match, hurt feelings, right? Fallen friends. Um, And is that a better way to be arch enemies or is it just enough for Lex to not know who Superman is or not grow up, you know, together and just be an enemy, right? Because otherwise Superman just always remembers Lex as his childhood friend. So I don't I don't know which way is better. I don't know if having them know each other from Smallville is good and interesting because it creates this quote-unquote brother aspect or making them complete rivals and completely different uh and Lex just despises him because he's an alien and has power that Lex wants. So, I don't know. Let me know what you think about that. Eventually, Lex experiences for himself that Clark has been hurt, and there's no way the computer simulation could be right about Clark's involvement in the accident. And Lex even says, you know what? Nothing appears to be what it seems lately. He tells Clark he's wrapping up the investigation of the accident. He believes Clark to be normal, at least at this point. So we'll see if that changes. Speaking of Lex and relationships, uh, they wrap up this whole subplot that he has been having with the character of Victoria and Victoria's father wanting to take over Luther Corps. They wrap it up super fast in this episode, and then it's done. And I'm kind of glad because, as I said earlier, that that felt like that wasn't going to go anywhere. So that's done. And then a few other points. In the prologue, when we see the class is on a uh, field trip for rocks, you would think that Clark would be against meteor rocks being on the list, or the whole town for that matter. I mean, at some point, this surge of weirdness caused by the meteors uh, is starting to get out there, you know, like at the hospitals, at the police, somebody has to know, like, come on, Smallville, chill out with this. Uh, I also wrote here, how come all the Smallville crows, the athletes, are jerks or bullies, and the faculty always seems to be bullies. Um, I mentioned that there's some connections to the X-Men movie, especially because Sean Ashmore is playing the uh, kryptonite monster of the week. So he has a scene where he, his parents realize that he has powers, and they're not happy about his change, and eventually they call the cops. 
all of that is like straight out of X2, which doesn't happen for years later, um, where Iceman tells his parents that, uh, you know, he's a mutant. And one of them says, well, can you just stop trying to be a mutant? And uh, the younger brother calls the cops on them. And I was like, whoa, see, now this is this is why you don't want to hire the same actor uh, for different, uh, the same actor within familiar a familiar genre right like you got sean ashmore here and now he's in you know the boys and then he was in x-men and who knows where else like he literally is playing the same scene with his parents with slight changes in two different major franchises that's weird so weird he must have been in that x-men movie and been like oh yeah i did this i did this on smallville um this is the episode where lana's necklace disappears uh, Clark had to use the necklace to stop the kryptonite monster of the week. Um, and he puts it in a lead box and he gives the lead box to Lana. And she even says something like, you know, maybe this is a way for me to move on from her parents. So, And then the title, Leech. Uh, obviously the powers um, being leached from Clark to the kryptonite monster of the week. Also Victoria's dad trying to leech, trying to steal Luther Core. Sometimes the titles have uh, multiple meanings. Episode 13, Kinetic. This is probably the closest thing to an episode that, uh, uh, you know, maybe I wasn't as invested in, but I think that's because Whitney was the main focus and he's just not a likable character. Uh, but he's also not written to be. So, And then the Kryptonite Monsters of the Week with their phasing powers, they were all athletes and bros and their dialogue was very formulaic. But there, there's a lot of stuff in this episode that I liked. So Whitney is used in this episode as a mirror to Clark's journey beyond Smallville. You know, Whitney wants to leave Smallville, but he believes that he's stuck now that he's lost his scholarship. And Clark also wants to leave, but has no idea why just right, just yet, right? And it's, you know, obviously it has to do with destiny. Clark wants to get away from Smallville, and it made me think, oh, you know, Here's an interesting notion in in Smallville, in the TV show, his hometown of Smallville is riddled with kryptonite. So of course he wants to leave. Of course he wants to relocate because it's almost out of necessity. Um, there's a good moment between the two when Whitney says, it's tough seeing yourself the way others see you, isn't it, Kent? You know, that whole savior reputation being thrown in, in his face. Um... The whole episode starts because Chloe is interviewing Lex at the mansion with Clark's help, and then the, the kryptonite monsters phase in, and they attack, and they steal something from Lex, and Chloe gets thrown out a window, basically, and lands on the ground from the second floor, and she's put in the hospital. It's the first time Clark can't save the day, and and it's I guess you could see it like he's learning that he can make mistakes, or he can't always be there. He's not Superman. He's not even Superboy just yet, you know. Too many people want Clark to always be perfect, uh, even, even when he is younger. I'm talking about readers or people who watch, like, the Superman movies or whatever. But this is how a hero learns, by making mistakes. And things happen to his loved ones or people around him, and he has to learn from it and grow from it. You know what? The next time, he will save Chloe. Um, there was some other stuff in this episode. Um... Uh, that I kind of liked. The kryptonite monsters of the week find out that Lex is skimming money from Lionel for a secret project with particle accelerators. So I don't know if that was a th just an offhand comment or an offhand piece of dialogue, or we'll see that later. Um, Chloe had to get Pete to tap into the hospital internet, which I was like, wait a minute, I thought Chloe was like some kind of major hacker, at least later she is. And we do see this in another episode coming up. Some Superman comic book mythos. Uh, Chloe says, Clark Kent, investigative reporter, has a nice ring to it. Ha <laughs> ha. And then Lex questions why Clark uh, shows up, you know, basically anywhere, and says, you can't save the world. All you'll end up with is a messiah complex and a lot of enemies. So I don't know if Lex is talking about himself or about, you know, eventually about Superman. Uh, some other things here, small little trivia. There's a scene where Clark is chopping wood one-handed because he's frustrated, and the Kents walk in. And it made me think, oh, in the CW Crisis on Infinite Earths, during the Smallville scene, Tom Welling is chopping wood with an axe, and uh, 
the Superman from the Supergirl TV series walks in and says, huh, I can do that one-handed. And it was almost like an odd reference now that I've seen this episode. Like, is Tyler Hoechlin really, are the writers really referencing all the way back here? I don't know. I just thought that was kind of fun. Um, And we get an appearance in the background of a young Evangeline Lilly in one of her first TV gigs, Evangeline Lilly, who played Kate in Lost. Uh, Apparently she's going to be in a few other background scenes. So in this episode, you can see her fairly um, spot on. Uh, And then the title, Kinetic Besides the Powers, could be how Whitney, it's about motion, right? So Whitney feels static or stuck in his situation, no movement forward. I thought that could be a nice parallel to the title. All right, episode 14, entitled Zero. Now, this is an important episode. The way you know that is because it's the teleplay is by Mark Verheiden. The story is by Alfred Goh and Miles Miller. And uh, those, you know, they are the creators and developers of this entire series. So I was like, oh, oh, this, this is going to be important. And it is because there's a lot of stuff going on, not only in flashback, but about history. Um, stuff to do with Lex, the mystery of Clark's adoption, even some very strong Lana and Chloe developments. So for some reason, uh, I don't know, I don't know where this falls in the season, if it's during sweeps week, if they still had such a thing in 2002, but this is an important episode. It's also a sequel of sorts to episode nine entitled Rogue. So we learn the backstory of Lex and the crooked cop Sam Phelan from episode nine when Lex was 1819, and the reference to when Lex got stabbed. So this involves a club, the Zero Consequences Club, and Lex is there with a woman. Her, uh, she thinks her fiancé is on a business trip, but nope. Her fiancé is in the club with a, with a bunch of other girls, and of course the woman is sad about that. And you almost get the sense that Lex may have been setting this up, but I'm not sure. So there's a confrontation and Lex is in the middle of it, and we don't know exactly how things went. All we are seeing is that Lex's body, or the bodyguard of the club, shoots the fiancé. Um, well, the fiancé stabs Lex first, and then the bodyguard shoots the fiancé, and then the woman screams. So, is that the way it happens? In a later version, we see that uh, Lex scrambled for the gun and maybe he shot the person and then we'll we'll find out what actually happens at the end of the episode so that's the big secret that's the big flashback of why lex got uh, stabbed and then in in present day uh the dead fiance is back and he's causing trouble for lex and unlike other times where lex is pretty open to clark about what's going on he is not sharing information um at all and in this episode uh the dead fiance jude is striking out at lex but and then but then starts to strike out at everybody around lex and kills all of the livestock at the kent farm and boy do they take it they they take it hard Um, they're crying clark is upset because now all of this is coming back to haunt the kents um ma kent cannot defend lex this time when it comes to clark's friendship with him and even Lex is like, he knows he messed up. I mean, he knows that Pa Kent doesn't like him to begin with. And now this is like a major blow between the two of them. So charting that animosity has been kind of fun. So by the end, we learn that really what happened um, is that Amanda killed her own fiance in a fit of, uh, you know, rage and fear and, 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 um, uncertainty and the person behind the dead fiance coming back to life is amanda's brother who who wants to hurt lex because amanda has committed suicide and the fiance jude is not really him it's just a lookalike and uh, the brother says i found a random double in a greasy spoon in bloodhaven mentions bloodhaven which is kind of cool also central city gets a, a mention in this episode too and eventually it all works out. And Lex at the end says, you know, the truth is I'd do anything to protect my friends, he says to Clark. So 
that's like the bulk of the episode. And it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I, I really like that. And then we get this other side thing that starts to dip into the history of Clark and the adoption with the Kens. Uh, there's a school project, again, a school project, where Chloe has to write about Clark's past, which you know is trouble in the making. So she interviews the Kents because Clark is being secretive. But the Kents have secrets too. So she continues to dig and finds out that the adoption agency where the Kents apparently got Clark from had only been open for about six months prior to this. It's called Metropolis United Charities. And Clark doesn't know this. Chloe tells him, and he is not happy. And he says to her, look, I'm not some mystery for you to solve. And you know what? Again, he's right. You know, Chloe's being really intrusive in this. She doesn't come off well. Um, but the Kents are also evasive about how they managed to work the adoption. And Pa Kent says something like, you know, even though it's legal, but then I think he gets cut off. It makes me wonder, hmm, is Lionel involved in this? I don't remember. I don't remember how this plays out, if it does play out. Now, eventually, Chloe drops digging into Clark's origins, and uh, Clark says at one point, you know, he wonders about his biological parents every day. But it's a nice little, you know, addition to the larger um, mythos for Smallville, how they handle Clark here. Now, Chloe being Chloe, at the end of the episode... She has a choice. She can either delete the information she's learned or save it. And what does she do? She saves it, of course. So we'll see how this turns out later. Now, as I mentioned before, the Talon opens in this episode. And Clark gives Lana a picture of the Talon from way back that belonged to his grandfather. Again, another mention of Clark's grandfather from Pa Kent's side, uh, which is kind of fun. And then we get some real TV and comic book tropes. Uh, in this episode, you know, it, it opens with Clark being strung up, hung upside down in true proper comic book form. Uh, we get some flashbacks. Um, the title, Zero, is a reference to the club. It's also could be, uh, you know, the lack of info on Clark's past. It could be the countdown to the Talon opening. A um, lot of references there. Now, the one thing I've been waiting for all season finally happens in this episode. It's the way the show connects the prologue to the opening main theme. And what happens is um, Clark is strung, uh, Lex is strung up and he's about ready to get shot and the gunshot goes off and the gunshot sound effect blends right perfectly into the first chords of the main theme. And it kind of swells you into the main theme. I mean, the main theme is great. I think a lot of people love, you know, the 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 theme song for Smallville, and it was used in in an awesome way during um, the Elseworlds crossover in uh, during in the CW verse. Um, but so far in all these episodes, I'm like, okay, you know, the theme just kind of pops up after a quiet moment, but here that gunshot, boom, and it just goes, and you're like, yes. So I love that, and I can't wait to see if they do that more. All right, and then finally, 15 Nicodemus. This episode is all about inhibitions, deepest desires, sex and violence, the human nature. Apparently, a, mem uh, a worker of Luthacor has stolen a flower from Dr. Hamilton, who shows up in this episode. And it's the you know little Smallville of Horrors because the flower can spread, spread its kryptonite... Uh, um, pores, spores, um, and uh, Hamilton is just using it as a way to test the meteor rocks. Um, so this will put Lex and Hamilton at odds by the end of the episode. So the first person affected is Pa Kent. All of his inhibitions are dropped. You know, he's being he's being sexy with Ma Kent. He's hating Luth uh, Lex Luthor. And then eventually Lana gets all flowered up. Uh, she has a scene with Whitney where she says she feels like she's locked in this relationship out of guilt. Ooh, ouch. Which, you know, they're, yeah, uh, that's very true. And then she goes after Clark and they have their first kiss. Um, you know, she wants to, sh you know, she's showing off for Clark. She's clearly showing um, that inside she knows things about their relationship. I think she even says, are you in love with me? 
So this means that he's now kissed Lana and Chloe, both when they were under the influence of something, and both don't remember. So that's kind of icky. Um, and then Lana also tries to mac up on Lex, which is kind of gross. Uh, and then Pete gets all flowered up. He almost shoots Lex. He's jealous of Lex's friendship with Clark, or Clark's friendship with Lex. There's hostility because of what the Luthers did to the Ross's cream corn factory. Pete hasn't really done much so far this season, so it's kind of nice that he actually gets something. Eventually, by the end, all of Hamilton's research is gone, nothing to connect him back to Lex. Um, Lex decides to put Hamilton in Cadmus, which has been popping up here and there. It's another episode where something that Lex is involved with gets the Kents in trouble or gets Clark in trouble. So there, you know, it's like a major divide that should start to happen between them two, but it doesn't. Um, by the end of the episode, Lana has had this wish, this, this desire to go sit on a windmill and stare off into Metropolis, off into the distance, which they do at the end of the episode. Uh, it's a pretty good ending. Um, the song they use is Beautiful Day by U2. Uh, the lyrics really mean a lot um, for this moment. And uh, Lana, I guess, asks something a bit to Clark, and he says, I feel free. It's really interesting because you can see the scene is shot on some kind of blue screen or green screen or whatever they used back then. But then when they pull away, it is Tom and Kristen, it is Tom Welly and Kristen Crook on top of a windmill, a very tall windmill. <laughs> and then the camera pulls away, and they're there. So, uh, you know, a lot of these people doing their own stunts back then. So this episode gives us some character stuff. Chloe just about admits to Clark that he should forget about Lana and move on to other girls, meaning herself. Um, we can see how Lex um, favors the relationship Clark has with his parents. Clark is really torn up about Pa Kent because eventually what happens, when, once they get put under the power of this plant, they eventually start to get a fever and burn out and they could die. So Lex is seeing how you know, how much Clark cares for his dad, and, and no doubt Lex is comparing it with his own dad. And then Lex straight up lies to Clark about Hamilton and the flower. It feels like it's the first time Lex really lies to Clark. Not just tells him a truth, but hides a certain fact or whatever. He just flat out lies. And uh, um, you almost get the sense that Lex is feeling trapped it's also the first time Clark grabs Lex out of anger during their conversation. It's pretty good. And then we also learn uh, a little bit of backstory about how, how Ma and Pa met, and it's pretty touching. Some Superman comic book mythos stuff that I liked. Lana goes after Clark and says, you're not made of steel, are you? There's a scene where Clark says something like, the only thing I can say is gulp. <laughs> He, he he doesn't like do the sound effect. He just says the word. It's really funny. I think he does a good delivery on it, and it makes me think of all the times that Superboy chokes and gulps. And that was that was cute. Um, we see a Daily Planet truck with the blurb straight from the source, and then Clark has a bit of dialogue. With all my abilities, there's nothing I can do. When he's sitting at the bedside of Pa Kent, and that sounds very much like the dialogue in the uh, first movie. He even asks Ma Kent, you know, what will they do if Pa Kent dies? Hmm, yes, what will they do? Uh, I took a note about stunts in this episode, um, especially con concerning Jonathan Schneider, because there's, in the prologue, he skids the truck to a stop, opens the door before the truck's even out, the camera's like zooming right in on him, and then he runs out, uh, and then there's another car stunt later. And I was like, whoa, you know, this is pretty good. Like his, uh, um, that they're using him in this way. And this leads to one of the Easter eggs, probably the most obvious Easter egg to date. When Jonathan Schneider is just in the truck in the prologue, he's listening to the Dukes of Hazard theme song and singing along. <laughs> so that's why I thought maybe the stunts kind of played into that. You know, I don't know how, many, how much stunt, car stunt they, stunts they did on the Dukes of Hazard, but uh, take a look at those stunts. They're pretty good. Um, and then the other thing, one last note for this episode, we get a small cameo from a waitress at the Talon played by Nikki Klein, 
Callie from Battlestar Galactica before that show ever aired, right? Let's see, that would be 2004 when Battlestar would start. So I talked about this, you know, this show being uh, filmed up in Vancouver and using a lot of Canadian actors and actresses like Evangeline Lilly. Um, yeah, this is where Nikki Klein comes into the world of Vancouver casting and then shows up uh, on Battlestar Galactica. Now, the other obvious or the other interesting point is Nikki Klein is also the future wife of Allison Mack during her cult days. So, that's weird. <laughs> All right, there you go. Those are my notes. If you want more of them, you got to go to the website. That's week three. I'll be starting week four with the remaining six episodes since season one ran for 21 episodes this week. And then you'll get the uh, week four wrap up in another podcast. All right, if you're playing along, send me comments, Peter at thedailyrios.com or leave comments on the website, thedailyrios.com. Follow me on Twitter, Peter J. Rios. Follow me on Instagram, The Daily Rios. This has been The Daily Rios, episode 495 for Wednesday, January 27th, 2021. Talk to you soon.